Hey everybody, quick note before we begin today, the Good Life EDU podcast is typically a weekly podcast, but this week we're going to bring you three special episodes, all as previews for the Future Ready Conference that's set to take place next week on June 15th and 16th from 9am to 12pm. Uh, each of those mornings there is going to be a keynote speaker followed by a series of breakout sessions via Zoom uh, and the conference experience is virtual and free and so we'd love to promote that. And so you're going to get a chance to hear a preview of three different sessions uh, that will be presented at that conference through the podcast this week. So we would encourage you to go to the Future Ready Conference page uh, to register. You can access that by just searching for it on Google or by going to bit.ly slash capital F, capital R, capital N for Nebraska, Nebraska. So that's bit.ly slash FR Nebraska. Thanks and enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back again to the podcast today as uh, I'm really excited to explore some of the things that the ESUs have been doing to support teachers in this remote learning setting uh, and have two experts uh, on that very topic here in the conversation with us today, Eileen Barks of ESU2. Good morning, Eileen. Hello there. <laughs> and Nick Ziegler uh, of ESU5. Good morning, Nick. Good morning. Okay, and I'm going to start with Eileen. Will you kind of tell us a little bit about what's been going on um, from the ESU standpoint in terms of the support that uh, they've been providing for uh, educators at this time? So whoever thought that I would use the words, I lived through a pandemic while working <laughs> at the ESU. Really, right. seriously. So right. all through, I've been at the ESUs, um, well, I started in 2006. I took a two-year hiatus, but I've been here for a long time and I have never seen our ESUs collaborate as well as or as fast as we have done. We have done remote learning workshops. We have done remote learning webinars. We have shared documents of, hey, here's how you screencast or here's how you can use Seesaw. We have collaborated and corroborated with the NDE and, and working with Doran Avey and Corey Epler's team and all the different teams at the NDE. But here's the thing, our job is to help teachers help students. And that's what we do. And it doesn't matter if we're working at seven o'clock in the morning or at seven o'clock at night, we are going to make sure that our teachers have the tools that they need to get the job done because teachers are tenacious and they're going to get it done. Right? So absolutely. I completely agree in that teachers can get a little self-conscious whenever they have somebody else uh, who has privilege or, or privy to their work. Right. And so when an administrator comes in, you can get a little self-conscious and you want to make sure that you're doing your best. And, and this experience left everybody's classroom door wide open to parents. And it was something that I think was a little unnerving for educators for a number of reasons. But it was really great to step with you guys <laughs> into support of teachers in these spaces. And so, Nick, Eileen mentioned that it was a very quick response on the part of the ESUs to get into these spaces where we can help teachers. Uh, we give a little context as to how that all came about. Most definitely. So for the past roughly 10 years, ESUs either individually, but then also across the state collaboratively, we've been focusing on how can we help educators, administrators, school systems understand the value added 
when we engage kids with some of our educational technology tools and, and how can the ed tech influence the pedagogical practices in the classroom. And the heart of that is, is the term blended learning. And as I mentioned, in ESUs, as well as across ESUs, we've, over the past 10 years, invested over a quarter million dollars in thinking through, with a Nebraska lens, how can we enhance teaching and learning with tech integration? So once pandemic hit, and it was clear that we needed to move to a remote learning context, ESU folks across the state came together and thought through, how can we adapt these resources that are meant for the face-to-face -face classroom to meet the current needs of remote learning in our pandemic times. So Nick, when we started working on the remote learning plans and all the ESUs came together and Andrew had just started as the new digital learning coordinator, I remember my email and my phone was silent for probably three days. And all I was doing during that time was talking with other people about what are you doing to help? What are you doing to help? And I just don't think that anybody knew. But Nick, when we started that and we were doing that emergency remote learning, right? We were just throwing everything out there and emails were flying about, you can have this program and you can have this program and you can have this program and it's free and it's free and it's free and it's free. And we're like, oh my gosh, there is like regurgitation of the email into... <laughs> teachers' heads, and they don't even know what it is that, that they need mostly. And, and what I appreciated the most about the work that has been done across our state is that it's simple. And that it's, was what my friend Shara Johnson kept saying. Teachers have to make this simple. We have to make it simple for our teachers. Teachers have to make it simple for the students. And that's what I love about our five-step process for remote learning. It's that learning goal empower the students to get to the learning goal. It's that instruction. It's the process. It's the practice and the product. Let's just talk like a little bit about each one of those steps. Hey, talk a little bit about that first step about the learning goal and that self-assessment that the kids are going to do. Most definitely. Yes. So, so I, again, I think it's important we all take a deep breath we are good educators. If you're listening to this podcast, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you are a wonderful educator in our state. And so collaborating across our state with folks at ESUs, we wanted this to be a simplified process. We, we want to help you think through effective remote learning and in relation to effective lesson planning. I, I, I think it's very similar. So yes, that first step, identifying what is the objective. Our Department of Education recommends that we focus on a small number of objectives or potentially even one objective. And then what do you do with that, right? Uh, in your classroom, we always talk about engaging kids with those objectives, right? And so students will be able to, your SWOT analysis, we wanna do something similar. So in a student-friendly statement, what is the objective? I can, whatever that might be. Well, then we go on, right? So we've identified, here's the objective. That next key concept is what content are the students going to access? I, mean, I really think that the content is the main thing that, that could have been missing from all of that free stuff coming to the teachers, right? It's, it's use this, it's use this, it's use this. No, 
back up and know what you know about good instruction. Good instruction is focused, it's student-centered, and there is a human element. There is nothing that is going to replace your teaching during remote learning. There has to be sort of a access online or offline reading or a video or a podcast or some sort of a teacher-human connection in order to get that content to the students. Right. And not recreating the wheel, right? You have access yeah, yeah. to high quality curricular resources that your district is paying for. So many times it's a question of how can we repackage that in our context of remote learning? If you have access to an online text through your curricular resources, leveraging yeah. those things. You know, and also thinking about how do I get this, this equity piece here? How do I have it online? And how do I have an offline? Right. And how do I reach the same audience and the same end goal, whether it's an online digitally reproduced piece of text that students are reading, or it's an online somebody reading it to them, right? So mm -hmm. that equity piece, because remote learning is not always live. Remote mm -hmm. learning sometimes is asynchronous or kids have to access it at a different time and that's fine but always thinking about what my online task could be and what my offline task could be there too. Mm -hmm. And Eileen, you bring up there too this idea of asynchronous. And I know some people that prior to this, this time, that, that word, they may know what it means, <laughs> but not in the educational context. So could you give us a very brief breakdown of just asynchronous versus synchronous? And let's talk a little bit about how that maybe influences things like instructional delivery uh, and some of the process practice product that we're gonna get into that follows. Yeah, so asynchronous is where I can plug and play. I can grab this podcast and I can do it at a, another time. I don't have to be live in person with that student. Synchronous is something like Zoom or Google Meet or um, something where you're online with them at the same time. You could actually be synchronous on the phone if you needed to be synchronous on the phone as well. So don't think it also has to have that video component. But I, I think it's just important to know that there are great videos out there that you can find, but the best video for your students is your face on that video explaining what it is that you want them to do and what you want them to learn from this. And there are videos out there you can find, but you don't have to go search the video library of the internet, you can make your own very, very quickly on Zoom or Screencastify or any of those things. Good points. I would add, think back to fourth quarter. When we all tried to make those live connections, did you ever have 100% of those kids connect with you? It's important that we try to engage kids in those synchronous connections. Also remember our social needs, right? And making sure we're still maintaining those relationships and those connections with the kiddos. But we can't rely on those synchronous connections to be the sole source of the content or of the instruction in so much as we can't bet that everybody is going to be able to join. So I think it's still important to think through your remote learning plan with an eye on that asynchronous experience, because most likely we aren't going to have everybody be able to connect at the same time. That is so true. It's not even a backup plan. Synchronous is your way of seeing how my kids are doing and them seeing how you're doing 
because let's let's think about that too. The kids were also thinking about how's my teacher doing, right? So that's that face-to-face -face and that, that connection. But when you have an asynchronous connection where I can play it at any time I need to play it and I can play it over and over and over, I get my learning deeper. And that, that really leads us to the process of the next piece of the remote learning plan. So the first step was, what's that learning goal? The second one is, what's my instruction? And the third piece is that process. The students are going to think about, I just taught them something, how are they interacting with that? Or how are they understanding the instruction? And that's where I go back to that asynchronous thing of being able to play it over and over and over again so that I can deepen my understanding in the process of my understanding. Right, and having an activity of some sort that engages kids in thinking about, am I on the right track? They mm -hmm. should be able to answer that question with your process activity, am I on the right track? And to answer that, that means I need to get some immediate feedback as, as the learner. If it's not immediate, it needs to be extremely timely. So I was talking with a staff developer here at ESU5 recently, and, and she identified the process component as the biggest piece that was missing in the fourth quarter, specifically in a math classroom, right? We had this great Khan Academy video that provided some modeling. It, it, they walked through some examples, but there wasn't that live that live hold your hand, walk you through, make sure that you understand this is how we apply this equation or this is how we do this math thing. And it left her student in a bad spot that they were not ready to move on to the practice without having engaged with some immediate feedback, a process activity of some kind. Okay, and so here's, if I'm a teacher though, and I'm listening to this, I'm saying, okay, I understand the need for that. And it wasn't maybe so much as I didn't realize that that's good practice, but how in the world do I do that in this setting, right? And so I'll just kind of kick this off and let you guys brainstorm for a second. But for me, that's that's Edpuzzle. So let's, mm -hmm. take, let's take a video and let's embed that in Edpuzzle and build in questions that stop and make the person viewing that have to sort of answer a question. And, and you'll see this even in uh, videos that don't have that Edpuzzle component where the, if it's a math problem, it'll say, five plus three equals what? And there'll be this awkward pause. This is the Dora Explorer, sure. <laughs> like, sure. you know, and you give that, that wait time. Now there's not necessarily the feedback component there that, that an ed puzzle can bring around that. But, but that's the thinking is that let people get sort of acclimated to this before they're asked to do that, even as a formative check, which is the practice piece that we'll maybe get to next. Um, Eileen, what would you kind of add to that? Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking using something like a Google form that gives you some feedback that you can't go to another question until you get that question correct. It could be three questions or something like a quizzes where it's already done for the students and they cycle through and they have to get the right answer before they can move on. I, I'm going to go back to that Google form because the Google form thing, you can set it so they don't get to go to the next piece of your remote learning lesson until they have answered their questions correctly. So you use that Google Forms to then help you deliver the rest of the content on your remote learning plan too. Sure, other, other tools include, for example, a Nearpod or a Pear Deck where you can embed 
those process activities into the, the, the presentation, into the instruction. Uh, I'd also highlight your learning management system, those quiz questions, or maybe your discussion questions. But when we think about this, we've already talked about synchronous versus asynchronous. We've already made the point that if we're in a live connection or a synchronous connection with our kids, we can ask those open-ended question and engage kids in a similar manner as, as in the classroom. The difficulty right now is thinking about it in that asynchronous context. So leveraging ed tech tools that allow for some immediate feedback, we're most likely thinking about those close-ended questions, those multiple choice questions, rather than those open-ended questions. Yeah, and you know what? We've been doing this blended thing for almost 10 years, right? And those are the kinds of tools that those teachers were learning about right. in that, with that quarter of a million dollars that was spent through the state. And we have all sorts of digital skills and tools in the OER that our teachers have looked at and said, hey, here's, here's two options for doing certain things. Like here's an ed puzzle or a quizzes. And they've mm -hmm. actually gone through and said, here's the pros and cons of it. And here's how it fits in a lesson plan. Those are in the OER for us to already look for. Yeah, and if you're not familiar with that too, the Nebraska OER is uh, certainly that OER Commons is something you should consider accessing because it has everything from a teacher guide, which will probably plug by the end of this, uh, that walks you through this kind of remote learning experience and, and the nuances that kind of come along with that. It has a plethora of different examples. There's your word, Eileen. I know you like when we throw that out. <laughs> Of, of examples of uh, exemplar lesson plans uh, that that are available for you there because sometimes as a teacher it's just great to see that you're on the right track by looking at what somebody else is doing and going oh okay well we're we're doing the right types of things here and uh, I don't want to deviate too far from from kind of our, our progression here by mentioning those things but I'm glad you bring that up because I think that that's an underutilized resource we really want to point to educators to because of the high quality instructional materials that they'll find there that can support them at these different steps of this plan. Love the bringing of, the, of those two pieces together. Uh, I'm gonna shift actually back to Nick here uh, for practice. And I'm gonna ask you a question with this because I've had some people as I've worked with them through this thinking that said, well, I get that the process is there for feedback from the instruction, all right? And I get that I'm gonna later do something that feels like a summative with a product that we're gonna create that really is that demonstration of what, let's call it mastery. Why then is there this practice in between and can you kind of tease out the difference between processing instruction and practicing the nuance there is there's a subtle line that, that I think sometimes needs a little more clarification. I, I agree. Um, as I think about it too, I think there's a little bit of overlap. Uh, the, the distinction that I would make is thinking about that process activity, it's tied directly to the instruction that I can't move on to the practice until I've completed that process activity, that check for understanding, and I do know that I'm on the right track. Let's talk Marzano for just a second. I mean, he, he talks about things like questioning, summarizing, predicting, maybe incorporating some graphic organizers, that those process activities are, are helping students understand the instruction. So, so follow with me uh, just a little bit deeper here so that, that those process activities are helping kids interact with, with the new information helping them remember, maybe organize that new information, connect it to previous learning potentially. Great, 
let's dive deeper. And your practice activity, now we're talking about practice inside of a guided experience, right? So we're beginning to apply. We're not to the summative piece of the product yet. We're not applying these, this objective in a new context. This, this is contrived. And, and, and what I mean by that is in, in your math classroom, um, it's, it's probably those worksheet pages. In your social studies classroom, potentially we need to practice solidifying my understanding of those key terms. I think also adding to that practice piece of students, I can do it by myself. I can be very successful doing it by myself and it's a very low risk practice opportunity. It's something that doesn't have to be that full graded piece. It's I'm going to show you that I that from my process I know what you want me to learn. I'm showing you that I learned it. And then when we move into the product, that's like the showcase. That's like a I can put it all together and I can do this and show you what I just learned about that content that you taught. So thinking all the way through Practice components could be Study Island, um, IXL, Prodigy, Quizlet, all of those different ed tech tools. But I think the product piece is where the students get to show their creativity. And the students get to say, here's how I'm going to put a nice little neat bow on it. And I'm going to weave the things that I've learned together and possibly even pull in things from other units of study or other, all of my different understanding that I'm going to put a neat bow on it and I'm going to be creative in how I'm going to show that. Nick, talk more about that product piece. Excellent. The point we've made throughout our webinars, throughout our workshops that, that will make it the Future Ready Conference, uh, I mean, when we're talking about a product, we're not thinking an enormous project. We're not thinking that this is going to take students five hours to complete. Uh, we're, we're thinking it's a quick demonstration just like Eileen said and I and I appreciated how she said that so what might that be there's a ton a plethora of different things <laughs> available to us to to create those quick products but but again we're not talking five page essay we're talking about one paragraph that maybe then is further illustrated um, using a, a cartoon creator or some other digital age tool when we talk about products we like to talk about it in terms of showing what we know in relation to those content area skills, but also promoting those digital age skills that are identified by our, our ISTE, International Society for Technology and Education. So for example, they identify seven different standards and, and have a great scope and sequence of grade level band expectations. But one of those is a creative communicator. So getting kids to create a worked example in a math classroom for let, let's come back to a concrete experience. So in my math classroom, we started off with here's the objective. Here's that quick self-assessment. So I can count coins, for example. Great. And we had this quick process activity. Maybe it was a quizlet where we had to identify the value of those different coins. Immediate feedback in that quizlet. So I know I'm on the right track. Next up is the practice. And, and here again, it's that worksheet. We, we really feel that uh, whatever the practice activity might have been in your face-to-face -face classroom, we can probably incorporate that in your remote learning classroom. But we have some practice activities to help me deepen my understanding of what, whatever it is we're talking about. Finally, we get on to the product and it's that quick 
product, that quick creation. In this, in this example, the students would solve a word problem and then they would take a picture, maybe using Seesaw, and record their voice explaining it. In the math classroom, we, we talk a lot about math discourse. Current research and best practices in those math classrooms, we, we want to help students talk through, create those worked examples that show what they know in relation to the objectives. Oh, and I'm such a big proponent of the creative end product. And I get sometimes that that's a little unnerving because you're like, how am I supposed to grade this? And the rubric piece, you know, becomes pretty nuanced or you're, you're really focused more on content, you know, make sure that you're evaluating those pieces and letting that creativity, the quality of maybe the product isn't weighed nearly as heavy, if at all. But uh, I would just encourage you, particularly in this, this remote setting to invest in those if you've never done it before. Uh, choice in product because I've seen it with my own kids. I have a nine-year-old and I have a six-year-old at home and I've loved how during this time they have taken up sort of creative pet projects and endeavors. My, my daughter has started to figure out how to sing into the iPad uh, and auto-tune her own voice and so she would be able to make a song now because she has new skills because she's been tinkering with that a little bit or or my son he's been playing around with apple clips uh and even at the end of the spring semester he turned in a little video piece that he he put together that was a, a series of videos and pictures and he's he's six so these aren't things that were necessarily and he did it on someone's phone we're not asking you necessarily to to have to do that thinking for them i think sometimes just posing the question and giving them the space and the time to own it it's going to spark creativity the opportunity for creativity yes but that's what, a lot of that engagement piece where if i'm doing the same types of learning experiences for each different subject area i'm going to get into the one that gives me the freedom to make it my own and and express myself through or what i'm interested in now through that and so um i think that there's a lot of potential there Andrew, you were saying, you used the words engagement, you used the words choice, which I tend to use for student agency or students being able to own their choices and make their, make their minds up of how they want to learn. And one of the things that we've talked a lot during remote learning is about choice boards. And choice boards are some of those activities that you can put together and it, it works for practice, it works with product, sometimes it works with your process too. And thinking through those choice boards on the digital age pedagogy site that we have, there are multiple examples of choice boards. On the OER, the Open Education Resources, the Nebraska Hub, another way that you can find choice boards to get there. During our remote learning workshops and our remote learning webinars, we highlighted choice boards and all the way working through these remote learning plans. Nick could probably talk a little bit better about this, but there is actually an OER class that you can find to walk yourself through that you get a certificate. Nick, you want to talk a little bit more about that? Sure. In collaboration with folks at other ESUs, we've turned those resources on our Digital Age Pedagogy website into a teacher guide. Uh, we have videos combined with the text, combined with exemplars. I really hope that, that that becomes a useful tool to help educators think through planning for high quality remote learning. And that's just it. The, the banner that really has been <laughs> across all of our promotional 
pieces throughout this time has been that we are here to help. And you can hear it in the myriad of different, I should say a plethora, but I'm saying myriad, <laughs> of okay. circumstances, uh, between a webinar and a workshop. And the fact that we're here to really contact at any time, truthfully, we'll create a podcast around this. Uh, the, the OER is there to give you these examples. And within that OER is the teacher guide. So if you'd like to kind of do that asynchronous learning versus the synchronous, which was the workshops, uh, the opportunity is available to you. Check out the DAP website, Digital Age Pedagogy, uh, and you can go to bit.ly slash E-S-U-D-A-P, uh, all in caps on the, the last six letters there, uh, and you can access that. And if you're really interested, and we'll kind of bring this conversation in for a landing here a little bit, uh, in learning more, this week's podcast series is all about pointing people to the Future Ready Conference, this Future Ready Nebraska Conference that is free for anybody that wants to tune in for that on June 15th and 16th, which is next week as we're recording this now. Uh, and so I'll just throw it to either of you. Who wants to kind of co-hype <laughs> this uh, experience? Because you guys are on the planning committee with me as well. And I'm just so excited to see the breadth of topics and the applicability of all these sessions to the diverse ranges of stakeholder groups uh, in education that are all kind of coming together with this event. Talk about a, a collaborative event. Woo. This, this is a truly a statewide event where NDE and ESUs have come together. And I'm not talking just ESUs, I'm talking every little facet of every ESU, like the staff development affiliate and the technology affiliate, all, all of those people working together, the special ed affiliate, higher ed, lower ed. We have sessions that are pre-K, uh, learning management sessions that are happening, or LMS. We have remote learning sessions. We have self-care sessions. We have uh, tips and tricks sessions. Nick, what else do we have? There, there are a ton of different sessions. I, I guess the, the overview, so what, what will happen on, on June 15th and June 16th? From 9 to 10, we're going to have a, a one-room keynote experience. Brad Gustafson's joining us on one day, Neethi Thomas on, on another day. Those were the two keynote speakers we had contracted to come to talk in normal times, right? And we're excited that they're able to come and join us for a one-hour keynote. Then from 10 to 11, we'll do stakeholder sessions. Purpose of this conference is to help all district stakeholders think through what is going to happen this coming academic year. And you're right, Eileen, planning the conference has been a collaborative experience with our ESU-level support of those different individuals inside of the districts, the SPED staff, the administrators, the educators, the librarians, the tech coordinators, the guidance counselors. Our conference this year is designed for all of those stakeholders. From 11 to noon then is when we have breakout sessions and, and there'll be 11 different sessions running simultaneously. There'll be two separate 25-minute sessions that you'll be able to choose among. Um, but I guess I'd also emphasize, I am blown away at the, the level of support that we have had, not just among us planning these experiences, but also in the response that we've received from those of you. We had over 500 folks register for those webinars throughout April and May. And we had over 500 individuals join us for the workshops at the end of May. Currently, we have more than a thousand individuals registered for our conference uh, on June 15th and 16th. It's going to be awesome. I hope you can join us. 
Absolutely. And so one final, final note after that ringing endorsement, how would you like to make $250? Woo. $250. How right. can I do that? <laughs> that was really nice. I like Let that. me tell you how you can make $250. Go, go right ahead, then, uh, Eileen. Yeah, tell us. Yes. If you would like to earn another $250 to spend however you want to spend it this summer, I don't care. You can create a remote learning plan and apply for this opportunity. Nick's going to explain it a little bit more in detail. So the process of earning $250 you're going to work with your ESUs to create three remote learning plans. People in our position as technology integration specialists, as well as people in the staff developer positions, those content area specialists will work with you in creating three high quality remote learning plans. And, and so we, we hope that that doesn't feel overwhelming because we're thinking about three bite-sized, good, high quality remote learning plans. To apply, go online on our DAP site. The application does ask that you submit some work that you have done, a one pager that you have done as part of your application. So if you would like feedback on your application piece, get it in early, get it in now, and, and we'll get back to you and help you make it better. Um, we're looking for 80 educators across pre-K-12 all content areas to illustrate best practices in remote learning so that we can use those as reference points for all of our Nebraska educators moving into that next academic year as it's into the unknown. Can I do that? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, you can do that. That's totally fine. And I, I think you should sing too. <laughs> well, and I would say too that like it's it's not unknown in the sense that you can go to the Digital Age Pedagogy website and the remote learning plan homepage, you'd be able to scroll down and see that there's an auto generator. It's a template that's there. It'll walk you through the different pieces that you're uh, going to be asked to incorporate. There are examples like we talked about. And so you can look at those as a opportunity to wrap your mind around what we're trying to get done. And this is not an inordinate amount of time that you're going to have to devote to this either. It's not, it's not going to have the feel of taking an online class over the course of the summer. You're going to be able to it's a one-hour teacher guide online through the OER if you'd like to go there or the Future Ready session. Uh, and then from what I've heard from teachers, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, it's, it seems about 30 minutes to 40 minutes if you sort of already have an idea about what you're doing to create one. And so then once you've created that one, along with a very brief, just kind of who are you and how do we contact you, application process, which you can also find on the Digital Age Pedagogy site, submit those. We'll take 80 people and get you $250 to create two more. So those can go in the OER. And if you want to hear how a teacher leads, how a teacher has created one, at our session at 10 o'clock on June 15th, where we are going through the remote learning plans, Danielle Fulcher from Freeman Public Schools, she will be leading us through. She has some really nice experience. We had her teach at our webinars and we had her teach at our workshop. And she will be able to lead you through that process and show you what she did and give you some really nice tips and tricks on what works for her. And I would say that if you're already lesson planning for the fall, you might as well create the remote learning lesson plan and get paid for it because I know you're working mm -hmm. on your own and you're not getting paid right now. So why not get paid for it? And why not also get some feedback from your, your ESU partners on how can we make this as high quality as we can? 
Yep. And if I'm a district level administrator or a building level administrator looking to support my staff in this space, uh, is there a better place to point to than something like this really that you could say, hey, I know that when you're ready, these resources are there for you, but preferably before June 17th, which is the deadline for the application. But, but what, a, what a great piece for you as an administrator, maybe if you're listening to this, to sort of direct your staff to this, to give them some structure and some expectations and some guidelines for what it looks like to be successful in that space. So with that being said, I want to thank everybody for their time today. I know the time goes very quickly <laughs> when it comes to talking about all the great things that have gone on. On one final note, is there anything else that we should kind of close with? Stay safe, stay healthy, enjoy your summer, try to take some time for yourself. I mean, yes, we are all worried about what's going to happen next year. Try to recharge those batteries. And I would say I have never been more proud to be part of the education community. I am proud to be an educator. I'm proud to be an educator in Nebraska. I'm super proud to be an ESU employee and a, in such a collaborative um, nature. It, it's just wonderful. And I've been really lucky that you guys have let me be a part of this conversation <laughs> from March to, to now even. So thank you and reach out if you're listening in because we, we certainly are all here to be a part of, of your story with uh, remote learning. Thanks, everybody. Thanks.